grace. And, um, you know, and I'm encouraged this morning, actually, uh, because as I was praying this morning, I was reminded, and actually Matt was reminded too in our prayer time, he told me, that God's word never returns void. So God is in charge. He's the one that provides the increase. He's the one that provides um, in his goodness. So I will trust in the Lord. Whatever I have prepared, I am offering to you this morning, and I just pray the Lord will help me to communicate it. Okay, so turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is giving in this one of his uh, last messages. He's up in the upper room. He had just gotten finished with the Passover meal, and he is giving a last little sermon to his disciples. Let's read. Actually, before we read, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are an awesome God. You are bigger than our circumstances. That you are faithful beyond our, our understanding. Lord, you are more faithful than we, we give you credit for. Lord, thank you this morning that you are so uh, excited that the body of Christ has come together to worship and to honor and glorify you. Lord, I know uh, you are pleased when we come and offer our hearts in worship. Lord, we do that right now. We offer our hearts in worship by receiving your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, if there's anything in our lives that we have not confessed or repented of, that we would do that even right now in our hearts. Lord, that we might have clean, pure hearts ready for you to implant your word upon our heart so that it would grow and, and produce fruit. So, Lord, we ask that this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. You bring us encouragement. Bring us conviction. Lord, I pray, thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's read, starting in verse, verse 1 of chap, John chapter 15. Jesus saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch that he, that, and he withers. They gather them and they throw them in the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Okay, so here we have this, an allegory. Jesus gave a lot of these. This is one of seven I am statements found in John. These these seven I am statements are, I am the good shepherd. 
I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the light of the world. And I am the bread of life. This is the seventh of those. I, I did a little study in, and I learned in my, from grammar that uh, these verses are all have a predicate nominative. Does anyone know what a predicate nominative is? Ooh, there's a few people. Thank you. I, for the rest of you, thank you, because I had no idea what a predicate nominative was. I had to call, I had to call a few people, and then someone said, Gretchen said, just why don't you Google it? So I Googled it. Yeah, good idea. Why don't I just Google it? Um, anyway, uh, these all have a predicate nominative. So Jesus is saying, I am something. And he's referring to himself. This is a glimpse in his character. This is a glimpse of his nature. And in so revealing himself, it's also a glimpse in, in our nature and character, in our relationship with the Lord. All of these verses are absolutely beautiful, wonderful. And, and Jesus is saying, I am. The great I am. Referencing back to when Moses was uh, talking to God, said, ah, who should I say he sent me? And, and he said, tell him I, may, I am sent you. Wonderful. Two other references of I am are used in, in John, and uh, they don't have the predicate nominative. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And he also said, if you don't believe that I am, you will be dead and dying in your sins. So these are the seven big I am statements where Jesus is referring to himself as, as something. And in this verse here, we see Jesus saying, I am, in verse 1, the true vine. Now, I love that um, Jesus is revealing himself, and he says, I am the true vine, as opposed, because uh, in, as you walked into the temple, you know, you guys know if you've read your Bible at all, how much uh, wine and, and grapes were important to Israel. Absolutely critical and very important. Uh, the Passover meals are, are served with wine. And so you have uh, this intimate connection. In fact, above this temple, uh, King Solomon's temple, or bef- uh, the temple here and even in the New Testament, was a, a grapevine above the door. So th- there was an intimate understanding of what the vine was to the Jewish mind. And, and Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. You see all these other pic- you know, pictures of what a vine is and how important it is. They're just pictures of me. It's a picture of who I am. I am the fulfillment of these things. This was a foreshadowing of who Jesus is in the Old Testament, Messiah. He is the vine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the one and only. I'm the real deal. I am the real thing. And then he goes on to saying, and my father is the gardener, or as your translation might say, the vine dresser. And I love this. Okay, so here... Here's a, a little bit of mention of the Trinity. We're going to see the Holy Spirit here in a second. But here we have the Father and the Son who are, guess what? As we will see, intimately involved in our daily life. Who want to be intimately involved in our daily life. It it's almost blows my mind to think that the whole triune nature of God is active, not passive, not just sitting in the background. No, actively working in our hearts and our lives. And so God, the Father, is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. Uh, We come to verse 2, and we see um, Jesus describing the branch. And guess who the branch is? That would be us. We are the branch. The branch is that the thing that comes off the vine. Have you ever seen a grapevine? Now, I'm a 
we're tomato farmers. We, we farm a lot of things, but we have a greenhouse that's full of tomatoes. And, and it's the same principle. We have a, a main uh, branch or a vine that comes up out of the ground, and, it's, and then you have these branches that come off of it, and off those branches is where you get your fruit. And so uh, Jesus is describing us. We are the branch. He is the vine. So you're, you're with me so far on this, right? Okay, so we are a branch. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Okay. Yeah, that's being a good gardener, isn't it? You got a branch going and, and it's big and it's sucking the energy out of the, out of the plant and it's green and healthy and everything about it, the plant looks healthy and you may even have other branches in this vine that are producing way fruit, but good fruit. And then you have this one branch that's not. Guess what? You get to prune that branch. Get rid of that branch. We do something called suckering. And they even do it, they call it suckering in, in, uh, in, in when you uh, harvest grapes too. And they go through and they find off the main vine, they find all the little tiny branches that are just kind of starting off. And what's going to happen is that the, the energy will go to growing the, the, the foliage, but you're not going to get the energy going to the fruit. If you don't prune it, you're going to get small fruit, really small fruit. And so you've got to say, okay, I, I, this one's going to produce good fruit. But this little guy right here, he's going to grow and he's going to suck all the energy from this fruit up above it. So we're going to take that out. And that's what pruning does for your, uh, here in this case, to your grapes. Every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So we're, I want you to see the progression here in verse 2. You have things that don't produce fruit. And you remove it, right? You see that? No fruit. Then you see fruit. And then you see more fruit. So that is the, that is the process that God is working in our lives um, to produce fruit. Let's look at verse 3 because I want to go back to verse 2 a little bit here. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus is differentiating. He's saying to his disciples, listen, you guys are already clean. Remember when Peter came and he said, uh, Jesus sat down to wash his feet at the Last Supper? You guys remember that story? And what was Peter's reaction? What, what, what? No, 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 I need to wash your feet, Lord. I'm going to wash your feet. You, you shouldn't be washing my feet. And then, and then Jesus says, no, no, I just, all you need is just your, your feet washed. And Jesus said, well, then wash every part of me, obviously referencing a spiritual side of that. And he says, no, you're already clean. You're already clean. So Jesus is, is kind of hearkening on that last message, and he says, you guys are already clean. These are folks that are already, Judas has already left at this point. He's already gone out and left them. And so he's saying, you are my disciples. You are my children. You are my brothers and sister, brothers here. Um, so you are clean already. So I wanted to make sure that we understand allegories are kind of sometimes tough to completely get all your theology out of, you know, because we've got to be careful because they're an allegory and, and Jesus isn't meaning them to be perfectly. And so if you read these verses, you can say, yeah, I guess it's possible from these verses for someone who has confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, has repented of their sin, and then this, hey, right there, saying that they can be thrown into the fire or they can be discarded and they're worthless. 
That is not what Jesus is saying. You've got to take it in context. And we have some other verses I want to read to you later to help us with that. Jesus is saying, is differentiating. He's saying, you are already clean. And if you here have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you have in your life and you've repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and you know there's nothing good in, in you by yourself that can earn salvation, then let me tell you, Jesus is uh, not referring to you. He was referring to you as being already clean. You were already clean. So I wanted to make sure we differentiate that. Let's continue on. Verse 4. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So now Jesus is, uh, your verses might say abide. Do you have your verse to say abide? That remain, abide. But the word there is really important to understand because this is the same word where we get the word tabernacle. Tabernacle means to remain, abide. And so Jesus, uh, some translations will even render it that way, tabernacle here. And that's a really cool word when you understand that we have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit abides in us. This is the same word. He is tabernacling inside of our hearts, inside of our lives. And we are a temple, um, the Bible tells us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we are <clears throat> to also remain and or abide. Now, it's, it's interesting. I want to say this. The fact that, that Jesus is telling us to remain should infer something to us. What, does, what do you think? What does that infer? Huh? If we are to remain, and he's encouraging us to remain, what does that infer? What's that? I can't hear you. We're there already, but... Yes, it infers that there are times when we may not remain. We may not be abiding. He's encouraging us, remain, hang in there, stay with me, right? Okay, so there is a, a possibility as a Christian that we can be working in our flesh, that we could be so disjointed, disconnected from God, not being in his word, not being in prayer, and so many Christians decide not to fellowship, especially nowadays after covid so many Christians are not attending a fellowship. Let me tell you, when you do that, you are robbing God of his fruit. You're robbing God of his fruit. And guess what? There will be some pruning in your life. Sometimes that pruning, I should say always, that pruning is not comfortable, it's painful. But it's necessary and it's good. So Jesus says, remain in me. And I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself. Now, this fruit I wanted to mention here too. This isn't uh, just you know simple fleshly good works. You know we're very capable of operating in a in a capacity in our flesh where we could do nice things for people, but they're not they're not producing spiritual blessing. They're not producing spiritually because we're operating within our flesh. Maybe we have ulterior motives. Maybe perhaps we want to be recognized. So we do these works and we do these things so that people can pat us on the back and say, hey, wow, you're a good guy. 
Yeah, those things are not going to be beneficial to us. Those things are not spiritual in nature, and they won't produce fruit. This fruit that's mentioned here is the is spiritual in nature. It's the things that we do when we are abiding in Christ, and then his life is flowing in us, and then it flows out of us. And how it flows out of us when we're abiding is it produces fruit. And we just are doing things spontaneously for God as he leads us in our life, and then he is reaping the benefits as we are producing fruit. So remaining in Christ is the very first and foremost understanding here in verse 4, and then the fruit. We will produce fruit. But the fruit cannot be produced if you're not a Christian. If you're not a believer, you cannot produce spiritual fruit. We all know... uh, the spiritual fruit that's referenced there, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are mentioned in uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, aren't they? And remember, those are uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So there's the, there's the Trinity. Remember I said there was gonna be a Trinity here? So the Father is the gardener, the Son is the vine, Guess what the fruit comes from? The fruit comes from the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit in action within our lives and how it manifests itself to the world, to each other, to our brothers and sisters, and to the world is through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity at work in our lives every day. So verse 4, unless... You remain unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. We will we will wither spiritually if we do not abide in Christ. So I wanted to kind of hunker down on that concept of abiding in Christ. Because um I don't know about you, but sometimes uh I work in my flesh and I say, ah, I gotta do something. And I kind of psyching myself up spiritually to go do something. Uh if you guys are ever an athlete, do I have any athletes ever in here? Football players, baseball players, or wrestlers? Believe it or not, yes, a long time ago, I was an athlete. I know, it's hard to tell now. But yes, I, I used to be an athlete. And uh, I was a swimmer. And one of the ways we used to psych ourselves up and get ready for swimming was we get up to the blocks and we get up there and we would slap our biceps up against our arms and we would relax and we do all this stuff and you're shaking out your leg, this one. And, and you're supposed to be loosening up, but really you're just psyching yourself up is what it is. And you shake this leg, you shake this leg, and you kind of, you know, you're getting all, see, you're getting psyched up. You're saying, I'm going to win. I'm going to swim the fastest, you know, 150 meter, whatever it is that I can swim. I was a breaststroker and a freestyler. Those were my two best, but I also swam am too. So you're psyching yourself up, and you see this in, in like weightlifters, you know, when they're getting ready for the deadlift or the bench press. And I've even seen them like hit themselves on the head really hard, and, and uh, they're, they snort some smelling salts in their nose, and they're just really trying to get themselves mentally. <laughs> You've done that before. And you're really trying to get yourself psyched up. Okay, let me tell you this right now, folks. That is not the Christian life. That's not what it means to abide. It's, you cannot get to the place of abiding by just willing it on your own. This won't happen. 
How do we abide? Abiding is, is how we, it's an everyday, it's, it's an everyday priority. It's saying, Lord, I want to spend time with you today. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to be in prayer. And it's an everyday process. You don't have to jump into the, uh, to the uh, who was that missionary who had the, the orphanage, hon? This amazing prayer warrior and faithful man. Who was it? He was in England. Huh? George Mueller, thank you. You know, we don't have to approach, go from where we are to all of a sudden being George Mueller or something, right? Okay? No, it's a lifelong process. It's a, it's a God working in our hearts and as, as he is washing us in his word and as we are spending time in, his, in prayer with him, there's, there's a transformation that's taking place as God is taking us and we are abiding in his word. So don't, don't kick yourself if you think, ah, you know, I can't spend three hours a day. Start off small. If you're not spending any time with God every day, start off small. How about this even? We all, if you're like me, you think of someone. You're thinking of someone in church. You're thinking of someone in your family. And you're thinking, ah, yeah, they're, man, they're really struggling and going through. And then I'm like, oh, stop thinking about it. Let's pray about it. And then I, I stop, and I'm still working. I'm still doing things, and I'm praying. I'm praying for people. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for, for you guys as God brings you to my heart. And, and that's part of, of that abiding also. It doesn't have to be just a set time in your schedule every day. It can come throughout the day. As you, God brings someone to mind, I encourage you. Don't just think about their problems or difficulties they're going through. Stop and say, no, God brought them to my mind. I need to pray for them. And you, like I said, you can stop what you're doing and pray, or you can continue what you're doing, washing dishes and, and pray for them right there on the spot. Abiding in Christ, it's, it's, it's going to be a natural event that comes out of prioritizing our Lord, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time with God's people. Then we will be abiding in the Lord says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. We need to remain in the Lord. Then Jesus says this in verse 5. Verse 5. Excuse me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Do you see that? Much fruit. Now there was no fruit. There was fruit. There was more fruit. And now we see much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Okay, so the vine the analogy. So you break off that vine, you pull it off the, uh, break off the branch from the vine and you, we discard it. We just throw it on the ground. Now, you're not going to go back <laughs> to that branch two weeks later and see amazing tomatoes growing on it, are you? No, it's going to be withered and brown and, and dead because that branch is completely and totally dependent upon the vine. In our own lives, in, in, in this church, uh, Jesus said, unless God builds his church, right? Unless God builds his church. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not stand against it because this is Jesus' church. What would happen if we committed this day, this morning, more toward abiding in the Lord? in this church. Say, God, have your will. Wow. God would be blessed and honored in this community. It's one of those things in scripture. It's so simple, 
And yet, because of our flesh and distractions in life, we, it becomes so complicated. It becomes so difficult to abide in the Lord. I'm not speaking as someone who's arrived. I, I struggle like you. Making sure to keep my quiet times. Making sure to be praying with my wife. Making sure to have my own active prayer life. All these things are, are, are a struggle for me as well to maintain that, especially when my life gets really complicated and busy. Abiding in Christ, he wants us to produce fruit. If Let's look at verse, uh, verse uh, 5. I want to make sure I got everything in verse 5 here first. Um, yeah, so we can't do anything without our Lord. Nothing. If we try in our flesh... It's not going to be successful. It's going to fail. Okay, let's look at verse 6. I think I got everything there. Now, look at verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So I, I wanted to go back to that point we just said a little bit earlier on eternal security. If you look at scripture in context, at everything it's saying, it's saying there's accountability to us and there are consequences like a father, like a parent to their child. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about God's discipline on those he loves and his discipline is like a, is like a father correcting a child or a mother correcting a child. You, you apply um, your, your hand in, in grace and mercy, but you have to do that because there's wickedness that's bound up in the heart of a child and you have to help them to be submissive to, to us as parents, earthly parents, but ultimately you're teaching your children to be submissive to the father. That's not a very popular concept today. You know, you're not supposed to spank your kids. Well, let me tell you, that's not what the scripture says. Now, I will say this, that my mom and dad were masters at the art of spanking. Especially my dad. He was a creative spanker. He would find whatever was around. Some, most of the time it was his belt. And he'd whip that thing off and then you were toast. You knew you were toast. But it didn't matter. It could have been anything that was close by. One time I got it with a spelling book. And let me tell you, <laughs> I was like, I was more appalled that my dad would just like reach and grab something off my desk and and, and let me have it. But see, sometimes we, we as parents can really blow that and we, we can discipline out of anger and we can discipline too hard or we can discipline too, too soft. But let me tell you, God's discipline, God's work in our heart, God's work in our lives is always perfect. It's always what we need. And so this verse here in 6 is not talking about uh, uh, the believer. This is talking about those who would um, who would claim to be Christians, who talk the talk, and they appear to be walking the walk, but yet their lives are incongruous. They're, they're, they don't match up. There's, 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 there's slander and gossip that comes out of them. There's, there's blasphemies against the God's character and nature that come out from them. And Jesus says, for those, uh, they will wither they will be burned. But for the believer, we have promises. I want to go to that. Turn to Romans chapter 8. 
Save your spot there in John because we're going to come back to it. But turn to Romans chapter 8. And this is such an encouraging few verses. I'm just going to read it all. It's verses 31 through 39. So Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say? This is Paul talking. I know we're missing a lot of context, but let's, let's read on. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Now, here we go. Verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Verse 36. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. Are we counted as sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I love this because here Paul is getting uh, encouragement to the believers in Rome. And he's saying, look at these things, nothing He's, he's covering all the bases, it seems like, right? But it's like in verse 39, he says, well, in case I missed anything here, it says here, nor height nor debt nor any credit will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. He says, nor any other created thing. There's nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That, and that includes us. It includes us. That's That's based on God's sanctifying work, his justification. These are principles that are found in Scripture that are encouraging, that strengthen us, that should strengthen They're not a license to, to commit sin. They're meant to give us an encouragement, to give us hope. The word hope there in the Bible is not simply just, oh, I, I, I hope someday I'll go to heaven. No, the word hope is, is completely different. It translates different into English. It is a solid assurance Paul uh, even refers to it as an anchor. He says we have this hope as an anchor to our soul. He says that in Hebrews. So these are things that are solid. And then my wife mentioned that her favorite verse is uh, Ephesians 4.30. So turn to Ephesians 4.30. Now there's a lot more verses on this. And I, I just kind of prepared a little bit, not very much this morning. And... You know, these are things that are uh, you should discover for yourself in the Word and be encouraged as you look at God's promises. Now, is it possible for us to, to uh, sin? Of course. Is it possible for us to blow it and make bad mistakes? Yes, because Jesus is saying, abide in me. And if we're not abiding in him, we're going to be withered. And when we're withered, we're going to make some bad choices in our lives. Now, in verse 30, let's look at this. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of what? Did you read that? The day of redemption. What day is that? Is that tomorrow? Well, it might be. <laughs> it might be. No, 
It's, it's to the end, to the very end. When we cease in our struggles, when we are done with our times and tribulations, the day of redemption, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged, believers. Live your life in, in faith and joy. Don't be discouraged by the world that, that says there's some sort of ability in me to maintain my salvation. No, you, you, you are to maintain your fruit. You are to maintain your connection with Christ. But there's no mention there of maintaining your, your salvation. I've, I, I've known people who feared Christians who feared and actually had one lady cry, break down and cry. She was afraid she was going to go to hell someday because she thought she wasn't going to do enough on her own to keep her salvation. How sad, how defeating is that? What kind of more than conquerors do we see in that kind of life? We don't. So verse 6 is not talking about those who are are even struggling with their relationship with God, like Paul. He says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Remember that verse? Remember that struggle? Powerful struggle. And I'll say that, you know, all of us can relate to that or should be able to relate to that. If you can't, then there might be some other issues going on in your life. But we all relate to that struggle. Paul did, certainly, and Paul... (laughs) Look at Paul. What an amazing testimony of God's grace and love and power and redemption Paul is. Okay, let's move on. We're going to move on to verse 7 here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now, this this verse could be pretty much taken out of context here, and it is. You know, you have, uh, you could turn to any channel if you have a cable or even if you just have the antenna. When my wife and I just had antenna early in our marriage, when we, we didn't have cable or anything. But we, for some reason, we were able to get that, uh, is it TBN, Trinity Broadcast? We were able to get that one pretty clear. And, and so I, I, I did every now and then. It was like watching a, an accident or a train wreck, and you just like glued to it. You can't stop it. I would get to one of these pastors on that program and, and they're, they're preaching uh, just, you know, faith and just believe and God will bless you. And, and basically, blazonly, bra- brazenly saying, give me money and God will bless you. Multiple, multiply it, you know, God will return it to you. And, and so you see all these things where um, here, this is not a name it and claim it verse. This is not a, a God give me my own private jet. And then I will have a private jet because it says right here, well, whatever you ask in my, uh, if you remain in me and, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. You can see where people who would be easy to twist in their own flesh, to twist that scripture so that it make it a selfishness. But I want to remind you of, of a Psalm chapter 37, and I forget the verse where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. That's what this verse is talking about. As we abide in the Lord, as we're spending time in his word, and the word is encouraging us, and strengthening us, purifying and washing us, we are being made in his image. Guess what? We're abiding, 
anything we pray for at this point is going to be God's priorities. It's going to be God's will. Not, Lord, what can I do for you today? What can you do for me today? It's, Lord, you're praying with the same priorities as God is. That's an incredible, think about that. What an incredible encouragement that is. Powerful encouragement. I remember when I was going on my, one of my first mission trips, we went to Mexico and we did some really extensive street evangelism and, and uh, Sunday school, vacation Sunday schools. And then we ministered at an at a orphanage. And so each of us were preparing uh, financially, but we were also preparing a prayer team to come alongside us and who were committed to praying for us for every day we were gone. And I approached, uh, oh, she was 90 at the time. She was like 92 years old. She died when she was 100. She gave her testimony one day at church, and, and um, her name was Ruth, and she shared her faith story when she gets, got saved when she was just a little girl. So she, here she is, almost 90 years, walking with, with the Lord. And I just adored her. And I walked up to her after, after church one day, and I said, Ruth, I would really love it if you would be on my prayer team and pray for, pray for me. And she's, I could tell she was a prayer warrior. I could tell. And um, she said, yes, I'll pray for you. And let me tell you something, guys. That whole time we were there, not just me, but all of us felt totally lifted up, blessed. God brought, we saw miracles. We saw miracles. Anytime someone gets saved, it's a miracle. And we saw people getting saved. Um, genuine change. Change that would just make you, tears come to your eyes. Amazing work of God. And I'm telling you, that woman was praying for me. You want something, <laughs> you want something, God to be glorified, to God to work in, in your life or prayer, have a prayer warrior praying for you. Um, it's, uh, it's, it'll make a huge difference. And so she prayed, and God says here that uh, whatever we pray for, whatever we ask, whatever you want, it'll be done for you. Wow, that's a really cool promise from God's word. Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You see, my father is glorified. God is glorified when we abide in Christ when we produce fruit, and here it says much fruit. And that's what, that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to produce much fruit in our lives. How do, how do we do that? We do that by abiding in Christ, remaining attached to our source of strength, our source of hope. Our so Everything is, everything we are is in Jesus. Jesus literally is our life. He is literally our life. We get all of our strength. We get all of our power that comes from him. And when we abide in him, that fruit becomes much fruit. God is glorified and we prove to be my disciples. Now, we're not proving ourselves before God. He knows that, right? He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He knows whether we're disciples or not. We're not proving it before God. Who are we proving this to then? Well, to our, each other and our families, right? But remember what Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. One of our greatest evangelical tools 
that we have at our disposal is not vacation Bible school, as great as that is, and it is, or Awana. No, it's loving each other. Loving each other. We do that by abiding in Christ. It's not one of those psyche things. Oh, I gotta love Bob. I gotta love Bob. I, I know I can love him. I can love him. No, 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 no. I love Bob. I do love Bob. <laughs> That's why I picked him. I love you guys all. But let me tell you, it doesn't come from our flesh. It comes from the Lord. It comes from His grace, His strength. Okay, let's let's pray, and then we'll get ready with for communion. Lord, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for the encouragement of your Word. Lord, it's so uh, simple, and we like to complicate things. But Lord, it's so hard to produce. Uh, not results, but to, for us to follow you, to abide in you, and we are so easily distracted. Our hearts are so easy to uh, forget how quickly we want to default to our flesh. Oh, Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to abide in you, remain in you, so that we can be a light to this community, a light to this world, that we can produce fruit that brings you glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.